got to learn how to worship. From a young age, we got to learn how to worship. We got to learn how to praise. We got to learn how to entertain the King of Kings. I'm not just entertaining him like we think of entertainment. We think entertainment is sitting on a couch somewhere, flipping through channels on a remote. Now, that's not what entertainment is. When I come into the house of God, I've come to minister to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I've come to let him know, God, if you don't do another thing for me, you've already been too good. Let's clap our hands. Jesus. Everybody get closer. If you're on the front row, that's okay. Guys, if you want to stay here, you can stay here. You girls, you just stay right there. Jesus name. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy 3:16. Young person, if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We've got this nice screen up here behind us. I want to use these young people because I want them to begin to understand and and some of them do. A lot of you do already understand uh, a lot about the Bible. And that's awesome. I want our children to get revelation right now. Brian, it's so good to see you tonight. You too, Chase. Thanks for bringing Brian. That's what it's all about. I want them to get revelation of truth now and they can get revelation of truth at home they should get revelation of truth at home but I want to make sure that I do everything I can to foster an environment ripe with revelation that's part of why we praise and we worship because we're creating an atmosphere that that is ripe for revelation ripe for God to move God to work before I forget Two weeks from tonight, two weeks from tonight, February 17th, our annual business meeting. Be there or be square. Be here. Growing up, business meetings were boring, and I vowed to do my part to break that tradition. I don't like boring. I don't like dull. I don't like mundane even in a business meeting. You know, we've had the Holy Ghost break out in business meetings. We have. We've had the Holy Ghost fall. Powerful times of prayer, worship, revelation, consecration, and business meetings. So be here on the 17th, two weeks from tonight. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy... Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, 
justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That's powerful. Now, if you want to get your one scripture out of the way, young person, and you want to read that scripture right now, raise your hand. Great. Okay. Now, you're not just going to read it. Understand? This is my opening text. We're going to preach tonight about the Godhead. Don't mess it up. You say it with gumption. You say it with gusto. You say it with fervor. You understand? You speak it like a man of God that you are. You understand? All right, let's do it. 1 Timothy 3, 6. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amen. Is there any young person that thinks you can do better than that? For the chase, you think you can do better than that? For the Brian, you think you can do better than that? You sure? Can you do it in Spanish? All right. received up into glory. We're going to preach tonight about the Godhead. Teach tonight. I'm, I intended to teach. We're going to do our best, but I'm making no promises. In Jesus' name. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for revelation of who you are. God, I thank you for these young people that are here tonight. God, I thank you, Lord, that they have a desire to grow in you. I pray, Lord, that there'd be a, a spirit of revelation that falls upon them tonight as we preach and as we teach and upon our adults, upon our seniors, whoever is in this house tonight. God, I pray that your spirit would have free course free reign in this place tonight. We love you. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory in the name of Jesus. That's it. Let's clap our hands. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. 
the Godhead. Paul writing to Timothy is very, very plain in our opening scripture. Without controversy. In other words, there is no room for error in the matter of who God is. He goes on to explain that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. We must understand tonight from the onset that the identity of who God is, the identity of Jesus Christ is foundational, it is fundamental to our walk with God. It does not matter how long we have been in church or how short a time we have been in church. This kind of preaching must continually be preached. Young man, if you're going to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this kind of preaching is always in order. It is always a safe place to preach. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. I'm literally giving you my conclusion as an introduction tonight. To understand the mystery of godliness, we have got to recognize the fact that Jesus Christ had a dual nature. He was both God and man. He was not 50% God and 50% man. He was completely God and completely man. 100% God, 100% man. As God, He created all things. As God, He knows all things. As God, He judges all things. And likewise, as a man, He experienced the same emotions that you and I experience. He experienced the same temptations that you and I experience. And in fact, the Bible says are common to all men. But yet he remained sinless. He became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He was fully God, yet fully human. He is Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Now why? The persona of God. Let's talk about it. God is an invisible spirit. He cannot be seen by the human eye. Brother Stratton, I'm sorry, this is not on the list. But I think it's pretty cool that I have to take scriptures that I was going to read myself. And have young people read it because I didn't have enough scriptures on my list. 1 Timothy 1.17. Brother Heath, you got those microphones? Pick one. The power is in your hands, brother. You're doing it. Thank you. 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. Go ahead, Sister McKenzie. Read it for us. Now unto the king eternal... Um, 
immortal. Immortal. Good job. Immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Give her a hand. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible. He could not be seen by the human eye at any time. God's full being, the fullness of who He is, is, was, and always will be beyond the capability of your understanding and my understanding. There's no way that we could wrap our minds around everything that He is. Romans 11.33, I'll read this myself. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord and who hath been His counselor? He, he doesn't have a board of diplomats. He does not have a board of directors. He does not have a cabinet to which he goes and gathers insight and knowledge. He's God all by himself. So we cannot try to define his person or his character or even his nature through our own thoughts, through our own ideas, or our own assumptions. Pastor, why are you preaching this tonight? I'm preaching this tonight because I had a phone call this week from a man about a vehicle, and he wanted to know about Pentecostalism, and he wanted to know about the difference between the oneness of God and the Trinity, and I wanted to talk to him about an S10 pickup truck with a transmission slipping. If we're going to be the church, we got to be ready all the time. Driving down the highway at 70 some mile an hour, talking about a pickup truck for our son for a good price. We got to be ready to give an answer for the hope. And so when I have those conversations, and when you have those conversations, you can say, hey, guess what we're going to do? We're going to leave our assumptions outside. I'm going to leave my assumptions. I'm asking you to leave your assumptions outside. Don't come to this conversation under the guise of, of looking at the Bible through the Trinitarian lens with Trinitarian presumptions and assumptions. Likewise, I won't come to the table. We'll just see what the Bible says. Our understanding of God has got to be based upon the infallible witness of the Word. Isaiah 55 and verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Well, God, that's not the way I wanted it to work out. Well, Isaiah's got your answer. Saith the Lord, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I need a young person to read John 5, 39. Somebody pass that. Oh, Sister Taylor's ready. Go ahead. Hang on just a second. John 5, 39. That's another one that wasn't on the list, Brother Stratton, but you are so awesome. John 5, 39. Go ahead. 
Search the scriptures, yes. for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Yes, if we want to know what the, the testimony of who God is, the answer is found right here. The answer is found between Genesis chapter 1 and the end of Revelation. It's found in the infallible word of God. Search the scriptures, for in them you think, or in them you realize. The word literally means, I feel like preaching tonight. In them you realize. You realize. You have revelation. You have eternal life, for in them you realize that you have eternal life. And they, being the scriptures, are they which testify of me. Not of me, of him. They testify of him. So, Brother Brian, you want to know anything about Jesus? You go to the Bible. Brother Chase, if you got a problem that you need to figure out, you can go to the Word of God. Ashlyn, you can go to the Word of God. Gabby, you can go to the Word of God. You might all have different problems. You might all have different circumstances. But you want to know more about him, you go to his Word. Because it's his word that testifies of him. There are those that are atheists. They believe there is no God. Those that are agnostics. That believe that God exists, but he is unknown and unknowable. I've got scriptures to refute every one of those, but we're, we're not going there tonight. We'll just put it this way. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Most of the time with somebody like that, you can't start with the Godhead. You have to start with the validity of Scripture. You, you can't just try to jump in and, and refute Trinitarianism because they don't even believe in Trinitarianism. You have to prove to them that God exists, that God loves them, that God has a plan for them. So here's a question you can ask, and this is not Soul Winning 101 tonight, but here's a question that you can ask somebody like that. Let's say Zeke was in that boat. So you know what, Zeke? God does love you. You may not see that right now. But what would God have to do to make you believe? That's a big statement. And if we just served a little God who was sitting on a shelf somewhere, it would be too much. It would be impossible and impassable. I would have just jumped into very treacherous waters. But God said, try me. Try me. And God loves that person so much that he will prove himself to them. So, atheist, agnostic, pantheist. They believe that God is nature or the forces of the universe. There are polytheists who believe in many gods. They believe that more than one God exists. And then there are those of us who fall into the category of monotheism. The belief that there is but one God. Do I have it? Sister Gabby, are you ready? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. We just made it to the list. Go ahead. 
Hear you, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Amen. Do it for me one more time with gusto, Sister Gabby. Do it like you're up here with a microphone and you're preaching. Can you do it? Just one more time. Hear you, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Amen. Amen. Hear, O Israel. In other words, listen up, Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Here's another monotheistic candy stick. Deuteronomy 4, verse 35. Sister Ashton, are you ready? All right. Unto thee it was shewed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. There is none else beside him. And you see that? God proved himself to them. He showed himself to be real to them. Got one more. Sister Harper, let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. James chapter 2 and verse 19. I love this one. You might have to stand to do this one. Just give it a shot. Give it a shot sitting down. We'll, we'll go from there. James 2, 19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Amen. Devils also believe and tremble. If that doesn't make you want to shout, I don't know what's going to make you want to shout. Let me just put a little plug in here. Even the devil understands there's only one God. Let me put another little plug in here. You can go here in conversation. I'm giving you permission. Somebody might say, well, you know, there's just so many titles. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the wheel in the middle of the wheel, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the bright, Morning star. So where'd they get three, first of all? Second of all, God is not the only one to whom there are titles. We could spend all night, we've done it, go back and listen to the messages I preached about prayer. Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, so on and so forth. Now, there's also that old serpent. He's also referred to as an angel of light. He's referred to as the prince of Persia, the king of Tyrus. He's referred to as the prince and power of the air, Lucifer, Satan, the devil. But even Satan understands the power of one. They don't believe there's an unholy trinity. Well, they do. But they don't believe that the... Even Satan himself understands the power of the oneness. And James chapter 2, 19 tells us they believe in one God. You're doing well. The devils also believe and tremble. I'm here to preach to you tonight. There's power in the knowledge of one holy 
God at sbcglobal.net. Brother Heath believes it so much, that's what he made his email address. So every time they have to email him about something, they might be Trinitarian, but they are typing in one holy God at sbcglobal.net. I love it. The Old Testament designations, we're going to go real quick through these. The Old Testament designations of God. Yahweh. God revealed Himself through that name. Y-H-W-H. It's the English rendering of something in the Hebrew called a tetragram. Wow, Pastor, this just got real boring. What is a tetragram? It's four consonants. There are no vowels. And I know that in the English language they say A-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y. That does, the sometimes Y does not work in Hebrew, okay? It's representative of the name of God. The original pronunciation of the name is uncertain, but when the vowels, watch this, when the vowels of Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for Lord, were attached to the Hebrew tetragram of Yahweh, which were consonants, in the medieval era, the word Jehovah happened. Yahweh is also frequently pronounced Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. I probably shouldn't have said it that way. Y-H-W-H is often pronounced Yahweh. It's associated with the Hebrew verb that means to exist or to become. It refers to the eternal self-existent one. The literal translation of Yahweh or Jehovah is I am that I am. That's why when Moses, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, that's why when Moses was standing there before the burning bush, he said, God, who should I tell them call, uh, uh, called me to come to you? In, in all caps, even in your English Bible, I am that I am has called you. It also refers to I will be what I will be. I am what I am. In the present, I will be what I will be. When you're self-existent, you don't have to ask for permission. I am whatever I want or need to be. It's literally what it means. So if you need a comforter, I'll pray to the Father in my name. He's going to send you another comforter. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will be what I will be. If you need a healer, I will be what I will be. If you need a deliverer, I will be what I will be. And these are they which testify of me. You, this, this Bible is chock full of historical biblical accounts of God manifesting himself in the lives of men and women of God who needed him to move. Am that I am. He said in Exodus 3 and verse 14, thus 
shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. He's identifying himself. We would have read it in verse 13 had I not jumped ahead. He's identifying himself to Moses as the God of the Israelite fathers, the patriarchs. Moses said to God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? I am that I am. The name Yahweh or Jehovah is usually translated in the King James Version. Some other versions. It's usually translated as the, the word Lord in all caps. So if you see the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's where they've substituted the word Lord for the word Yahweh or Jehovah. Today, we as Christians speak the name of God freely. Jesus taught his believers to speak in familiar ways to God. However, we don't use it carelessly. We don't use it foolishly. You read in the Old Testament when they did not have the revelation because God had not revealed Himself to the level and the extent that He has revealed Himself to us or that He revealed Himself to the New Testament church. You find them calling Him Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. It's His identity attached to something that he did for them. The, the name of God that they knew attached to an action of God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner. Jehovah Kadash, the Lord, my sanctification. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, my peace. Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Elion, the Lord most high. Jehovah Roya, uh, or, or Roy, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord my righteousness. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. In the Old Testament, the word Elohim is used more than 2,500 times as a title to identify God. Although the word Elohim is plural in form. We understand. You start studying Hebrew language, which I've not done nearly enough of, but you begin to study the Hebrew language. You'll, you'll find something in their language called the plural of majesties. It's when there's a singular item or person, but there's not an adequate word to use to describe him or it. So they use a plural word because it's the best word to describe one thing. You find it in Genesis, the first example, when God said, let us make man in our image. He wasn't taking counsel. The Hebrews did not have a word big enough, bright enough, magnificent enough to describe God as creator. God is father of all. And so they use the plural of majesties. 
You find it used with the title Elohim. It's plural in form, but it's always, always, always used with singular verbs and adjectives. The plurality of the word refers to the plurality of attributes, capabilities, and faculties of God. I mean, how would you describe a God who could literally speak light into existence? We can't even wrap our minds around that. Job described God as stretching forth the heavens like a curtain. How do you describe that? To simply say big is cheap. It diminishes who He is. And so, He is so capable. He has so many attributes and so many faculties. There are not enough words. There's not an adequate word to describe Him. The word Elohim, scholars agree, refers to one God. One God with a plurality or many characteristics. It's used in, I'm not going to count them, a lot of places. 2,500. I don't have 2,500 references tonight. It's used uh, to describe things like God is love. God is light. God is holy. God is mercy. God is grace. God is patient. God is gentle. God is righteous. God is good. God is perfect. God is just. God is faithful. God is truth. How would you describe that with one word? You can't. And so he begins to reveal himself to you and I. From Genesis, we see the pages begin to turn. And we see the thread coming into clear visibility as we find God begin to manifest Himself. In Old Testament times, He reveals Himself in various forms and fashions. He appeared to Abraham in the form of a man, to Moses in the form of a burning bush. He appeared to the elders of Israel on Mount Horeb. He appeared to Isaiah the prophet in a dream. And each of those manifestations was just a little temporary expression of who he was as an invisible God. So, he's a spirit. We cannot see him in his fullness. But all we can see with our human eye is a manifestation or expression of him. The invisible God begins to reveal Himself or He made Himself visible in the flesh of Jesus Christ. God actually robed Himself in flesh and became a man. Matthew 1, verse 23. Who's next? All right, Brother Isaac, let's have it. Matthew one twenty three. Behold, a virgin shall be with child 
and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I don't have to come to the table with any preconceived notion. I don't have to argue my way in. These are they which testify of me. I've never gotten into a discussion with a Trinitarian who could explain Matthew 1 and verse 23 to me. God with us. It's plain. Isaiah 9.6. Somebody run that microphone back to hand. Isaiah 9.6. This was also not on the list. Thank you, Brother Stratton. You want to read a second one? I just knew this one had your name on it. You can do it. Give it with gusto, sister. Oh, yes. For us unto, wait, no, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the gover, government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the yes. Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Yes. Yes. It's a child that's being born. It's a son that's being given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. That means he's the head honcho. And his name shall be called. Here's some more titles. Wonderful. Counselor. They're two separate titles. Not wonderful counselor. Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. But you just said he's a son. How can he be the everlasting father? The plural of majesties. I cannot wrap my mind around everything that he is. How can he be the everlasting father and the prince? How can he be king of, of kings and lord of lords and be the prince? The mighty God. Everlasting. Father, Colossians 1.15, Jesus Christ, who is the image or the visible form of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. 1 Timothy 1.16, or I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 3.16, again, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 just asks this simple yet powerful question that needs to be answered in every Bible study that you teach about the oneness of God. Who? Who fulfilled everything that 1 Timothy 3.16 puts out? When you answer that question, you begin to discover the revelation of how conclusively this invisible God revealed himself to the world. You begin to see the veil being torn and the God of glory stepping out of the invisible into the visible. 
A God who had been far not been seen is now being seen in physical, visible manifestation. Jesus Christ. Visible manifestation. Everything that happened in the Old Testament, every manifestation, it's called a theophany. When he revealed himself, Invisible manifestation temporarily. Now, he's, in, he's unveiled himself invisible. He unveiled himself in veiled form. What a mighty God. So ask the question, who? If you're sitting across the table, start asking them, who was this fleshly manifestation pause let them answer well Jesus Christ was John 1 14 tells us that and the word became flesh and dwelt among us we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth first John 4 2 who was justified in the spirit Go to Acts 3.14. He denied the Holy One and the just desired a murderer to be granted unto you. He's the Holy One. He's justified in the Spirit. Who was seen of angels? Who was preached unto the Gentiles? Who was believed on in the world? who was received up into glory. The obvious subject of those specific events listed in 1 Timothy is Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 and verse 9. Who's next? Go ahead, Z. Oh, thank you. Colossians 2, 9. For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now say it again with gumption and gusto. Like you're trying to convince me. You're preaching to me. And I'm not listening. And you're getting amped up in the spirit. That's how you need to say it. Understand? Stand up. See, I don't just do it to everybody else. This is my kid. I'm doing it to him too. And I know you can do it. You act like I'm that girl that got in the middle of the but now you can do something about it. You preach to me like that. Come on. For in him dwells... Ah, you can do better. I hear you at home. You can do better. <laughs> Diaphragm, let's go. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Emphasize bodily. Do it one more time. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Bodily. For in him, Jesus Christ, dwelleth the fullness it's not leaving anything out it's the fullness of the godhead bodily 100% man but he's also 100% god no part of him is left out all of the godhead all of the divinity is found in jesus christ 
He's not just a God. He's not just a portion of God. He's the fullness and the completeness of the one true almighty God. In him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the physical embodiment of God. When we look at Jesus, we see God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Did you hear that? For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. And God said, let there be light. That's what he's talking about. To shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When I looked at his face, man, I wish I could have. If I could look at his face, at the physical face of Jesus Christ, I'd be looking into the eyes of God himself. I'd be looking into the physical manifestation of the God who stepped out and said, let there be light. And there was. When we understand who Jesus is, we'll respond like the Apostle Thomas when he saw Jesus after his resurrection. Brother Venable, what did he say? Thomas, what did Thomas say when he saw Jesus? My Lord and my God. These are they which testify of me. Thomas, looking in the face of Jesus Christ, said, My Lord, my Master, and my God. My Lord and my God. Begins to come full circle as we see the revelation of what the angel Gabriel was revealing when he said he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be Emmanuel, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. In fact, the name of Jesus in its original language means Jehovah has become our salvation. These are they which testify of me. In the Old Testament, he's revealing himself. Jehovah Nisi. It's the identity of Jehovah attached with the action that he performed in their lives. And now Jesus Christ, Jehovah, has become my salvation. It ties in with Jehovah Jireh that Abraham called him. The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. Jehovah Jesus, the Lord has become my salvation. Man. Skip it ahead. There's another name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The word Christ is translated from the Greek word Christos, which is taken from a Hebrew, Hebrew word, and I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it means the anointed one, the Messiah. The name of Jesus is the culmination of the name of God. 
It is the most exalted name ever revealed to mankind. Philippians 2, verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, ah, and things in earth, and things under the earth. That means you and I in the earth are going to bow at the mention of his name. Things above the earth, the heavenly host, are going to bow at the mention of his name. And every demon and devil in hell that's under the earth is going to bow at the mention of his name. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Anybody ever heard the word Septuagint? It's a big one. Probably not one that you've used today. Septuagint. It's a fun word to say. But it's, it's the Old Testament that was written in Greek that was common in Jesus' day. Over 6,000 times in that version of the Old Testament, God is identified as Lord or Kyrios, K-U-R-I-O-S. Yet Paul in Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11 never hesitated to say that Jesus himself is Kyrios or Lord. Paul reaches all the way back to Isaiah 45 verses 23 through 25, and has no issue inserting Jesus Christ into the role. I've sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Paul inserts Jesus Christ into the words of God without hesitation because Paul understands that he is the almighty God. When we speak the name of Jesus, we are declaring that Jehovah has become our salvation. It's in that name that we should use when we're calling upon God. I don't have to pray to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit separately. When I speak the name of Jesus, I am fully encompassing everything that He is, everything that He will be, everything He wants to be in my life. Who's next? Colossians 3, verse 17. Colossians three seventeen. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Jesus' name. Whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm almost finished for the night. Take that microphone, Brother Chase. I think he's the last one. Brother, Brother Grayson, you want to do one too? All right. Take it to Grayson first. 
We're going to go back to Colossians 2.9 in just a second. In understanding the name of God, we must realize that God did not change His name. He did not change His name. Understand that. He simply revealed Himself in a more personal way as Redeemer and Savior. In other words, we no longer need to refer to God as simply Jehovah. But now we can call Him Jehovah our Savior or Jesus. The name of Jesus is the source of eternal life. It's the source of eternal salvation. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Brother Grayson is going to read Colossians 2.9 for us again. In to our our the of the cut out but we Amen. Amen. Good job, buddy. In Him dwelleth all the fullness. When I speak the name of Jesus, it's fully encompassing everything that He is. He's God manifest in the flesh. All the fullness of God was in Jesus Christ. On several occasions, Jesus actually affirms that He is Jehovah, the I Am. John 8, verses 58 through 59. I'm going to skip through there. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am that I am. Before Abraham was, I will be what I will be. What did they do? They took up stones to cast at him. They took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Do you realize they crucified him not because of the miracles that he had done? Not because of the the multitudes that he had healed, the multitudes that he had fed, but they stoned or they wanted to stone him and they ended up crucifying him because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. Before Abraham was, I am. Do you have something you'd like to share with the rest of us? Jesus again declares himself to be Jehovah in John 10, verses 30 through 33. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. A separate account, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Oh, so that's where the rubber meets the road. It's not for a good work. It's because he made himself known 
as God. The, the disbelievers had it wrong. He was not a man making himself God. He was God making himself man. And what the cynics thought was blasphemy was actually the greatest event of all history. Jehovah God had come in the flesh to seek and to save that which was lost. He's fully God for the chase. 1 Timothy 2.5 He was also fully man. Amen. There is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Remember when I told you we've got to understand the dual nature of Christ. He was completely God, fully God, and fully man. As God, he was the creator of the universe. But as a man, he was subject to every limitation, every emotion that you and I experience, everything that accompanies the human flesh. And although he was God, he willingly submitted himself to the limitations of that human body. We don't have time to talk about it tonight, but he experienced temptation. He experienced Reverence for authority. Go catch a fish, pay my taxes and yours. He experienced weariness. He grew in wisdom as a man. In stature as a man. Persecution. He experienced the need to sleep. He experienced hunger and thirst. Anger and joy, sorrow, weeping, and death. But pastor, if Jesus was God, and I didn't realize how far along I we're going to finish. If Jesus was God, though, pastor, how could he die on the cross? Did I miss any young people? Oh, yes, I did. It's that easy. Sister Blaze is going to read Luke 22. Verses 41 through 44. But God cannot die. Just get it ready, Brother Strange. It was the man, Christ Jesus, who died on the cross. In fact, the man, Christ Jesus, did not want to die. This is a point of contention when you start conversing with someone who believes differently. That's where the dual nature of Christ comes in. Sister Blaze, read for us Luke 22, 41-44. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. 
and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So, Pastor, if he's God, who's he praying to? They'll ask you, if he's God, who's he praying to? That's a valid question. That's a valid question for monotheistic believers. If he's God, who's he praying to? He prayed that his human will would not interfere with his divine will. We find him in Luke 22 in the flesh praying to the Spirit. The human nature praying to the divine nature. We find a perfect example of the dual nature of Christ in Luke 22 as the fleshly being, the Son of Man. That's why he's called both the Son of Man and the Son of God. How could he be both? He had a dual nature. A dual nature. As a son of man, he knew he would feel the pain and suffering that was coming. His flesh wanted to avoid it. But his divine nature knew that it was for this purpose that he had come into the world. Philippians 2, 7-8 through 8 says, but he made himself no reputation. Listen to the verbiage here. He took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In Luke 22, he's humbling his flesh. Not my will as a man, Christ Jesus, but your will as the divinity. I want you to overpower my humanity. Jesus Christ, the man, hung on the cross. Burdened with my sins and your sins. Suffering in agony. You find another one. Another example. Another point of contention. As he's hanging on the cross. And he calls out to God in human desperation. Matthew 27, verse 46. Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The psalmist had written about it centuries before. He's reciting the psalm. The psalmist gives us a little glimpse into the mind of the Messiah as he's hanging on the cross. Again, the dual nature of Christ. Humanity crying out to the divinity because divinity cannot die. And at that point, the divinity had completely left. And the flesh is left dying. 
why you say. Immediately before his death, a divine nature that can't die departed from the human body, leaving the man to die, seemingly forsaken and smitten of God. Sister Marissa, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded yes. for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Amen. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Yes. On the cross hung my pain and the guilt and the shame. Jesus bore my suffering to the grave to make me clean. Oh, the blood that was shed it now flows to cover sin. It washes clean. It purifies in its healing crimson tide. He's borne our griefs. Listen to the verbiage that the, the prophet used. He carried our sorrows. Yet when we looked at him, we esteemed him stricken. Smitten of God. But now on the backside, we understand. Jesus took my place. A divine exchange. It was the human body of Jesus Christ, the body in which God Himself dwelt, that was sacrificed for our sins. And when this same human body of Christ was resurrected from the dead. Jesus said to his disciples in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, he said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Musicians come. I am he that liveth and was dead. You see, there had to be a sacrifice. Sinless, blameless, spotless. Jesus Christ, God, manifest in flesh, robed Himself in flesh, became God, manifest as Emmanuel. to carry that fleshly body, to grow in wisdom and in stature, to face every temptation that you and I have faced. Yet without sin, to present the flesh as a perfect sacrifice. That's why in the garden, at the garden tomb, Mary comes and she runs to him and he says, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Back off, lady. Just hold your horses. 
I've got to go. I have to present myself. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What does that mean? That means that the flesh had not yet been presented to the Spirit as the blameless, spotless sacrifice that He was. He was God manifest in the flesh. Son of man, Son of God. A dual nature. As God, He created all things. Let's stand. As God, He knows all things. As God, He judges all things. And as a man, He experienced the same emotions and temptations that are common to all men. Yet, He remains sinless. Became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He was fully God and yet fully man. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And he told his disciples, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. When they were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost like you and I are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's living inside of you and I now. He's my comforter. He's my strength. He's my hope. Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and spake unto his disciples, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Do you understand? Do you see it? He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Ghost. He's not a trinity. He's one. You heard me preach it several weeks ago, but for those that may not have heard, it's, it's literally, the, the language indicates that it's, it's like an actor that puts on a mask for one act of the play. And he can step off or she can step off the stage and take that mask off and put another mask on. It's the same person playing a different part, playing a different role. Some of the language was convoluted as King James had the Bible translated with the, the atmosphere of theater, the, the industry of theater coming through the translation. It's the personas. The personas. But it does not diminish the Word of God. It emphasizes the Word of God. He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever. I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He's proving to his disciples, he's proving to you and I that he was not just a flesh in a pan. He's not just here today and gone tomorrow. He is a God who is eternal, who is everlasting. And even as he ascended off the earth, he said, I am alive forevermore. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Go tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. I wonder if we'd find a place tonight to pray and thank Him for what He's done for us. 
thank him for the revelation of who he is. Jesus. 